1: Faith, here with your welcome toast. It was John Green who said, Without pain, how could we know joy? This is an old argument. And the field of thinking about suffering and its stupidity and lack of sophistication could be plumbed for centuries. But suffice it to say that the existence of broccoli does not in any way affect the taste of chocolate. Wake me up! Before you go, go, don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. Wake me up before you go, go. I don't wanna miss it when you hear that. Wake me. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Get ready to smell the coffee brewing. If you're a coffee lover, settle in because we're coffee crazy on this fresh edition of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Which country has the most coffee shops? Why has instant coffee gotten better? And why do we gravitate to coffee cafes in the first place? Is it true that coffee is good for the brain and the body? Ten out of ten coffee-drinking doctors say yes, it is. Okay. My coffee-loving (laughs) coffee. Conspirators are here in our studios at the Big G, Gateway Community College, downtown New Haven. Chris Prosperi, Robin Doyen Aiken, and from KJZZ in Phoenix. Alex Province. Hey, everybody. Hey, Faith. Hey, hey
2: Faith. Hey, guys. Coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite beverage. I know. I have to. I have <laughs> to oh warn
3: you guys. I had an extra <laughs> cup of coffee today to prepare for the show. It was my research. <laughs> so I'm a little buzzed up. I'm ready to go. Not just We're buzzed. Fucking fast. That's right. <laughs>
1: We've got the author of this book, "The New Rules of Coffee," who's going to join us. In a little while, and I devoured this book. It is so fantastic about coffee. Let's do favorite
3: coffee cafes. I've got one super close by for everyday coffee. This girl runs on Dunkin', so I'm a Dunkin' Donuts girl. I know that's good. which is good, right? Yeah, yeah, Dunkin's I good. Then, like it. Yeah, that's for my everyday kind of coffee. Yeah. But when I want to have a special coffee house experience, my favorite place is Coffee. With a K and a question mark, um, over it's in coffee? New Haven. Yes, yeah. coffee? right here in New Haven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I used to hang out there. Yeah, I love that spot. Yeah, Such I do a too. Good spot. Okay, Chris.
2: Oh, every Sunday in the morning, Arethusa.
1: Oh. Now, of
2: course, they have a great little bistro across the street and a uh, ice cream place, right, a little creamery. But on the other side of 202 and Bantam, uh-huh. they have Arethusa Amano. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember it just from growing up in that area. It used to be, for people that were from around here years and years ago, it used to be a best-eaten donut shop, which oh. was where I got my coffee. So now I go in there and it is elevated because they make the
0: Best espresso, the
2: best cappuccino.
0: Even the their best sugar drip is expensive, coffee. and they're you know like fancy, and their napkins oh, are. Everything worth is
2: just and you my, sit in a, a nice chair. Taste. They have fresh croissant in them. I mean, yeah. it brings you to Europe, and you're in Bantam, yeah. Connecticut, and the smell of coffee when you walk the in there melts you. I mm. think
1: what's happening with this, I've been doing all this research this week about what the trends are in coffee, and we've got this expert coming up, and they're saying that. Coffee has just really become elevated everywhere, even at gas stations, even at the bodegas. People expect a little bit better coffee, and all these places are stepping up. People don't drink bad coffee anymore, right? No
0: No one tolerates a bad cup of coffee. Like, you know, on a sailing ship, as long as it's hot, you know, it pours like mud, no one drinks coffee like that anymore.
1: (laughs) That's interesting. See, I'm on the
2: other side. I think there's no such thing as a bad cup of coffee. It just does something to me when I drink it. I don't know if I'm alone here. The smell, it's not just the drinking. So there is something about the taste and having really good coffee. But any coffee, as soon as you put the mug down in front of you and it starts steaming up towards your face, uh you can see as the first wisps of steam hit my nose, the smile starts growing. (laughs) And I feel different. I get this energy. I haven't even
0: sipped it yet. You it, must have been a detective in a past <laughs> life or something in the 50s, <laughs> like dragnet. In my little coffee shop.
3: Some of the coffee experience is psychological. I completely agree with that.
2: hundred percent. There is something about it. I can even say that when I'm drinking coffee at home, I have a favorite mug. If that mug is in the dishwasher and I grab another mug and I'm drinking the same coffee at home that I drank, it doesn't taste the same to me when it's not in my special home mug. Okay, you,
1: you ready for this?
2: There, yeah. there
1: is a taste scientist at Yale okay. who says there is evidence for what you just said mm-hmm. that part of it has to do with touch. And the instrument. The, so the cups, vessel. the, the yeah. vessel really does make a difference in terms of coffee drinking. So there's real <laughs> totally. evidence behind what you said. <laughs> All right, Alex, where do you go?
0: Yeah, I'm lucky. I have two great ones. When I'm in Hartford, I walk right around the corner to Story and Soil. And you remember talking about those guys. They restore that block on Capitol Avenue in downtown yeah. Hartford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are really coffee fanatics. They do that cleaner, more acidic, um, lighter roast style, you know, where they really concentrate where the beans come from. And then when I'm in Madison, I walk to Willoughby's, which is like the center in town, and everyone meets there, and you see friends, and it's it's like a meeting place.
3: Yeah, we have Willoughby's here too in New Haven. Mm -hmm. There used to be
1: in New Haven a place called Judy's, and it was the size of a, a large closet. On Sundays, I would go down, you'd see a lot of people sandals sometimes bedroom slippers just shuffling (laughs) down the street there were no tables you'd be standing around it was to be part of that crowd just to be in the atmosphere of that place my favorite one right now is in greenport that's on the north fork of long island it's a place right on the water it's called aldo's you can tell when the guy is roasting people are like dogs they they catch the scent and you can tell the the tourists because you can tell they're following the scent Mm. where's that coming from and they go in in there yeah he's got their seats all covered with the coffee bean bags (laughs) you know for the fabric and it's funky it takes forever for them to pour whatever you want but it is so fabulous so for me, I like the sense of community in the place. And that's really true among Cubans. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. every culture is a little bit different about this. Cubans are there not exclusively for the taste of the coffee, they're there to be with the crowd, to be with one uh-huh. person, ten when, people, whatever it might and be. And the coffee's
0: good though. When <laughs> it's I lived really in good. Miami, really good, yeah. When I, when I lived yeah. in
2: Miami, we went every day before work, we went to a little Cuban coffee truck. Mm. and it wasn't just about drinking the coffee. You just stood it's there. Again, no, no seats. There's yeah. just groups of people standing around and, and everyone mm. is so friendly. There's something about coffee. It makes you see people in a different light. It makes you more friendly, more like you want to go and talk to people after you have a couple sips of coffee.
1: And it's not CBD coffee no. that you're describing. No. It sounds spectacularly no, like CBD oh, the
2: Cuban, coffee. The Cuban coffee, it's served in this little paper cup, that's tiny. That the, the yeah. handles fold out, and you just shoot yeah. it down, and it is Half so filled s- with sugar. Yeah, it is so strong; <laughs> oh, it, it makes your hair stand yeah. up on its end. But after you drink it, you're <laughs> like, "Okay, wow, I feel like a new person." Yeah, see, yeah.
1: See, that's, that's caffeine Bite, for you. Your feet aren't
0: on the ground. Oh,
1: no. So, <laughs> so I, I was on buzzing um, around. I was on the ferry over to Long Island yesterday, and. The bartender on the ferry is John Vendouris, and he's Greek. And I said, now tell me about Greek culture. You grew up in Greece. What was it like to have coffee there? He said it was really a gathering place to sit and complain. And he said, <laughs> I, <laughs> <to> <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone complained. And he said my aunt mm-hmm. would then read The Future in the Coffee Sediment, at the bottom of the cup. Nice. That was her thing. It always had two themes. There was always a woman or uh-huh. the, a letter, an international In letter was going to arrive. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. So I said, okay, tell me what's your favorite coffee now that you're grown up and you're doing drinks here on the ferry. And he said, I think coffee's got to be chewy. He said, you know, sometimes you want a wine that's chewy. It feels chewy when you, when you sip it. He said, that's what coffee needs to be. I think in Greece,
0: they drink Turkish coffee. It almost has the grounds in it. It's very thick. And strong.
1: So the second I sat down to have a glass of wine at the bar and I started interviewing the bartender, John, about coffee, an explosion of conversation happened. Everybody sitting around started talking about this. And this guy, he's a contractor. And he said, oh, I have two old school percolators at home. He said, you know, the aluminum oh, yeah, ones yeah, yeah. with the glass Shiny. top uh-huh. and you it can look down. He said, yeah. I have two because I use one for parts if something should break. Yep. He said, I can't imagine drinking coffee out of anything else. You have to let it sit there. Yeah. It's sort of the old school equivalent of the French press. Mm-hmm. The he said, version. it makes the best coffee. He said, but they don't make them anymore. So I shop tag sales. To and look for I, them. He looks for them. <laughs> And the minute he finds one, he's totally excited about Did, it.
2: Everyone in the 70s and 80s had one, right? Yeah. That's how we made coffee here. That's Every, how you I ended your dinner party. Yes, with the, you heard the little
0: click, <laughs> click, 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 right? Your parents go to the other room and then they, make, they come out with nice yeah. coffee cups and the percolator. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs a cup of coffee?
1: Well, I'm curious about whether people do anything Personal with coffee at home and that it's your little secret thing that you like to do. Remember when people used to put eggshells in with the ground coffee? Uh, It was a thing, uh, and I I don't even know know why they did it. Somebody was next to me on the ferry, and he said, my wife puts cinnamon. She always puts a little cinnamon in her coffee. Or
0: Or a little cocoa powder.
1: The state right next door, Rhode Island, is coffee crazy coffee 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 there are probably more coffee shops in Rhode Island wow. it's unbelievable they're obsessed with coffee milk uh, these coffee syrups, you go to an ice cream store, everybody's eating coffee ice cream. It's a coffee, coffee thing. Any Anytime somebody wants to have a meeting, they break from work and they'll say, come on, let's go get a cup of coffee. It's a thing in Rhode Island. I wonder
0: if they're more productive as
2: a state. I, I say it's the anti-cell phone. Every day I see all the people I work with. They're always like grabbing a phone and, and it's isolating. But at my place at 4 o'clock, it's coffee time and I make everyone a nice frothy cappuccino, and I hand them out. All of a sudden, the phones go away, and people start talking to each other again. And the same thing when you go to coffee shops, right? People are actually engaging again.
1: Well, in the coffee cafe that I used to go to, Judy's, people really talked. Somebody would occasionally open the paper, although it was so small, you'd probably knock somebody out if you tried to open it. But (laughs) People were talking, and that was really great. But when I go into other places, like in the Starbucks that I go into, everybody's sitting with a laptop. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think
2: Starbucks, we'll talk about that later, I think, right? Starbucks is a different kind of coffee shop.
0: Well, they have free Wi-Fi, too, so (laughs) people go there to – They promote that,
2: right?
3: I need to work in quiet, so that doesn't really work for me as a workspace. (laughs) But I do agree that it is a great kind of – Hangout place, a good place for work meetings. I would pick a coffee shop over a conference room any day. Yeah. For
0: college, I, I lived in a coffee shop. I did all my studying there and all of friends we'd have study groups. Didn't you guys do that? Oh god, yeah. Because that you
2: need the first no. of all, you need a place to meet. And second of all, when you're in college and you're studying and you're cramming, you need coffee. Yeah. So it,
1: we <laughs> always hung and a out place in the to stay shop. open yeah. late. Yeah.
2: They're, and some of the coffee shops are open till two, three in the morning, right? Yeah.
1: When you go to a new place, is coffee – where you are going to get your coffee the first thing you check out,
2: <laughs> Chris? <Yeah>. Oh, gosh. <laughs> How about before I even get on the plane? Yep. I map out. And listen, I love all coffee. So my fallback is always Starbucks because consistency, it's the same cup of coffee everywhere in the world. Mm. So I know what I'm getting when I go into Starbucks. But if I can find an individually-owned coffee shop, I look for that. I'll Google and like where's the best coffee shops and then the great thing is there's all kinds of reviews and sometimes it gets heated and they're like no this one no that one you got to have coffee when you travel.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is it the first thing you do? I wish that someone would create the coffee house in in advance of your arriving, they nice. would have a contract with a potter, and your name would be the on on the your, cup, on the cup Ooh, and it would be a nice big there. cup. You'd put it up on the yeah, on the hook. hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the
2: roasters in the lobby.
1: You'd re- absolutely. You could smell nothing but coffee, and you it, wouldn't
2: need beds. It would say, <laughs> Nope. up all night, no <laughs> housekeeping." Nope. Nope, don't even spend time in the room. I've been up for three days.
1: <laughs> How about get you? Out of here. <laughs> oh God! And Alex, I think you said you wanted to put coffee beans oh. inside the pillowcases <laughs> yeah. of the oh, end, so you smell it while you're sleeping. Nice. You're not sleeping, Chris. <laughs> oh, good point. Remember? Okay, that was fun. We've got a great, great guest—one of the true experts at coffee. By the way, we spend billions billions and billions and billions of dollars on coffee all over the world in the united states it's so much money you can't believe it that's how much we love coffee we want to invite you to talk with us on facebook we've been talking about some of our favorite places to go coffee houses if you've got one or maybe it's in a faraway location. It's a place that you absolutely adore hanging out, having that great, great coffee. One cup, two cups, ten cups. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> on Facebook, it's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, And I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Yeah! I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast, meaning a copy of the show, that arrives in your inbox, meaning you can listen to it anytime you want. You just sign up for it once at foochmoose.org. And we are wall-to-wall on coffee on this show. Of course, I'm with the gang, Chris and Alex. And Robin. And our new guest is Jordan Michaelman, and he's co-author of a book that I absolutely love. I read every word of this book. It is fascinating. It's called The New Rules of Coffee, A Modern Guide for Everyone. And Jordan Michaelman and Zachary Carlson are founders of Sprudge. And that's online. All the content is about coffee. So if you're a coffee a nut, and you love to talk about it, think about it, want to learn more about it, that's a good thing to check out. And I'm telling you this book, I just learned so much through this thing. So welcome to the show, Jordan.
4: Thank you so much,
0: and thank you for that kind introduction. You're welcome.
1: So what's the deal? Why has the quality of coffee stepped up, no matter where you go, even the the local bodega I swear, in a gas station. It's all a little bit better. And is that because the demand from us as consumers or is something going on with the beans?
4: That's a great question and it's a complex question. So some of what you're talking about is demand That's sort of more and more people getting exposed to the idea that coffee can be something that's culinary, that it's not just study fuel or something to get you through a busy kitchen shift or whatever, but that it's actually really, really interesting and can be as delicious as something like wine or cheese or food or any of these other kinds of things that we love. Some of that comes from consumers, and then it also comes from the actual traders and growers as coffee has this very colonial history, and this is something that we talk about a lot in the book, but it's like anything else. It's a product of the modern world we live in now, and there's sort of these new generations of coffee producers, coffee growers in Brazil or El Salvador or uh, in Kenya or or Ethiopia who are more and more being paid more money for higher-quality coffee and are working directly with coffee brokers and traders and exporters to push that quality forward from a supply side. So it's really both things.
1: We can't not address this. This is like the Debbie Downer segment on Saturday Night Live. A lot of coffee production has involved slavery through time. And even today, while it's gotten better in various countries, even today um, what workers are getting paid is not very much. Right, Jordan?
4: That is true. However, it's one of the things that makes focusing on this kind of culinary approach to coffee, caring about high quality roasters, good cafes, one of the happy benefits of that. Not only does it taste good, but it's all coffee that's being bought and sold for considerably higher than like the international commodities exchange price, which is called they call it sea market price. That's where like bulk commodity coffee, So something that you might get in a pre-ground tub at the grocery store, that's going to be kind of tied to that pricing structure. And it's very, very low. But when you're buying coffee from like a very good coffee shop, we know the coffee roasting company and cafe Neat there in Darien, Connecticut, which I don't think is too far from where you are. Right. That's a good example for your listeners. They're buying coffee at much, much higher prices The people who are producing that coffee are being paid way more. And all of it is happening in something that looks more like an exchange, fair exchange of money for artisan goods, like what you'd see in wine or cheese or some of the other kinds of industries that coffee, you know, hopes to sort of be able to break through some of the dark things in its history and and push forward to look more like those things in the generation.
1: I was just thinking, are there places that, advertise their coffee by saying, we pay fair trade wages to the pickers who focus on that. And so that if you're someone who wants to buy with conscience, do you know of any company that does that?
4: So there are many companies that make a variety of claims about how much they pay to their producer partners. And indeed, there's organizations like you mentioned, Fair Trade, which is There's this concept of fair trade, but there's also a proper noun fair trade international organization that certifies how much coffee producers are are paid and that's sort of a whole other thing. But really anybody that's doing what we would call specialty coffee or third wave coffee is going to be paying above that market price. And on a national level, some really great examples that your listeners could log on and go and buy would be from companies like Counterculture Coffee in Durham, North Carolina, Joe Coffee Company right there in New York City. Right.
1: Um, And P-Town. Yeah,
4: George Howell Coffee in Boston has been doing this for decades. Uh, And if you really want to get into some of the kind of producer-focused stories or connectivity with the coffee producers, companies that really have a long legacy of doing that would include brands like Intelligentsia Coffee. They have a location in Boston. They're based in Chicago. Olympia Coffee Roasters out of Olympia, Washington, does a lot
1: Uh of advocacy around the producers. And I
4: could go on and on.
1: Yeah, good. That's encouraging. And can you help us understand, first of all, I had no idea that coffee beans our fruit. I was just yeah. stunned by that at the beginning of your book. That was a very intentional
4: choice that we made. It's right up front in the book. We want to reclaim coffee as produce. It starts as produce. This is how we want to try to think about it.
1: I had envisioned these beans growing on a bush or on a tree you know, I'd never really seen the the plants that have the mm-hmm. the, the original beans, and right. so when I read that, and you said that they're they're kind of red reddish, um, mm-hmm. depending on how they're processed, affects what the flavor is like, and then again on top of that, how it's roasted, even how it's ground, all these things. It's like wine—the mm-hmm. way right. it's treated in all these steps affects things. So then I started looking at these reports of the trend forecasters and the some kind of big coffee association and they said that they saw that among all ethnic groups African Americans had increased the most in terms of wanting a more artisanal experience with their coffee. That was interesting. And they said last year, coffee sales in general stayed a little flat, but people were much more interested in the the growth was in artisanal experience in things like cold brew, coffee, and a bunches of other things. Have you found that to be true too?
4: Yes, absolutely. I think all of the above accurately reflects part of what we're reporting on regularly at Sprudge and Entrepreneurship and and a rise in inclusivity of who coffee is for and sort of what it means to be an entrepreneur in coffee. The idea that that doesn't have to look the way it has maybe looked a generation ago, that it can be very diverse, it can be very inclusive, and that coffee's for everyone. It doesn't fit any kind of particular stereotype about who can love it or who can make a living by expressing it in an artisan kind of a way. It's one of the most exciting things that's happening right now in coffee here in the United States and around the world, and it's something that we find ourselves reporting on week by week, month by month, for our daily work at the website.
1: I love that there are different reasons that people go to these coffee houses, coffee cafes, whatever you want to call them in different cultures. I yep. was, I was reading that in uh, Cuba, it's really much more about being together with people. Um, mm-hmm. and the coffee is the coffee. It's not this roast and this bean and I'll pay $120 a bank for this. It's right. the gathering place. You know how ice cream became gelato? And then it became the laboratorio, and it looked like a science experiment when you went in, and (laughs) it gave gave you this impression that it was unbelievable um, as a thing. Do you sing that with coffee?
4: Sure, yes. The sort of showmanship of coffee is the (laughs) idea that Mm. part of what justifies the price or connects with people that it's something special is definitely something we've seen uh, you know lots of different expressions of over the last decade you know i think it comes back to coffee whether it's a 120 dollars a bag or it was 50 cents at the gas station is a black cup of liquid like you can't
1: tell visually it's not like
4: yeah. It's not like a cheeseburger. You know, if you yeah. go to a really nice gastropub and you pay 15 bucks for an awesome bar burger with, like, the local beef and, like, the imported Gruyere and all that good stuff, it looks different than a McDonald's two-for-one value menu. But with coffee, it does it. It's a black oh. cup of liquid, yeah. you know, on both, <laughs> on both sides. And so that is where... Companies large and small have sort of said, okay, well, we need to introduce some theater into this thing so that we can connect with people for why our coffee, we're asking you $4.50 for it instead of the $0.50 that you would pay at the gas station. And there's also some truth to the sense that coffee is a cascade of variables, all the way back to how it's picked. And with every step and choice that you make for how it's roasted and brewed. So mastery of those variables is what it becomes kind of the white whale for people who who make coffee for a living and and want to have that coffee be really beautiful for for their customers. And so some of the theater, too, comes down to trying to master the variables and almost treating it scientifically or like a science, science experiment. That's where some of that comes from too.
1: This is Jordan Michael Men and he is co-founder of the online All Things Coffee site. It's called Sprudge. And his book is The New Rules of Coffee, a modern guide for everyone. It is such a good read. It's about coffee all over the world and how the whole, the whole thing is evolving. And so I decided to go online and look up how old coffee cafes are, you know, and what would I find? Mm-hmm. And so this just blew me away. This is the five oldest coffee houses oh. in the world. Oh, I bet you mm-hmm. I've been to one. Okay, so this is and I will slaughter these names because yeah. they're they're in other languages. So there's in Paris Cafe uh Le Procope. And mm-hmm. it is uh been there, it's still there. Since 1686. okay, And it looks so fantastic. I want to go there immediately. I've never been in that old one. There is Café Florian in Venice. That's been there since Mm -hmm. 1720. Getting closer. Um, And it was the only coffee house at the time that allowed women. And that's Mm -hmm. why um, you saw Lord Byron, Proust, Dickens, and... Lots of women in this place, so good for Cafe Florian. Uh, there's a place in Rome called Cafe Greco, and that has been there since 1760, and it is still, some people say, the most elegant. coffee cafe in rome i bet um and then in vienna there it is cafe central or central
3: i don't know you've been there
2: chris i've been there i was there actually in vienna my cousin lives there and she knows i love coffee and she's like well if you love coffee then we have to go here and it is just elevates coffee and it's not just the coffee it's the setting i don't know if you see pictures it's so gorgeous gorgeous
1: yes but was it your ultimate cup of coffee would you say it was my ultimate
2: coffee experience. Maybe not my okay. best cup of coffee, but sitting there with a little opera tort. And yeah, it was heaven.
1: So <laughs> Lenin, Lenin and Trotsky went there. I just <laughs> want to say. And then there's Cafe Reggio in New York City, which has been around since 1927, uh, Village Coffee House. Okay, those are the five oldest ones, at least according to one publication. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> We want to remind you that on Facebook, we'd love to hear from you about your favorite coffee cafe, even if it's to stop in and buy the beans, or maybe it's a hangout place, you know, why you love the atmosphere or this particular coffee, whether it's fancy or basic. We're just interested in what everybody's doing with coffee out there the way we're doing it here. So, um, I mean, I see a lot of coffee on the table here. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk about the new rules of coffee. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. For an on demand podcast of the show, go to foodschmooze.org and we'll be right back. you're addicted to love might as well face it you're addicted to love might as well face it you're addicted to love might This is the Fujmoos party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear this show on Connecticut Public, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9, and Saturdays at noon, podcasts, and our curated recommendations are always online, including information about the new rules of coffee at foodschmooze.org. Jordan Michaelman, co-author of the book, is with us. First thing I want to know, Jordan, is I read this article, it's from the Smithsonian, that Starbucks... Made a deal. I went to the island of St. Helena, which is a 47-square-mile volcanic island. And it's a day voyage from Angola. It's between Rio and uh, southwest Africa. And it's Mm -hmm. had an up-and-down experience with coffee beans. But when it's good, it's supposedly, you know, it's that green bean thing. And so Starbucks started selling this St. Helena coffee for $145 a pound. Oh, wow. And so I I just thought, what in the world? Is this nonsense? Or have you tried this? I mean, (laughs) what is it? What is it with something like this? Over the years,
4: I've had a chance to try a couple of different sort of similarly priced coffees. I have not tried this specific coffee from Starbucks, although my guess is, Starbucks sort of has the magical ability that if you mention them in a media capacity, I'll probably get sent some now after being on your show. <laughs> so uh, it's an interesting sort of a thing. So St. Helena, that island, is part of... Coffee has this very colonial history, and we talked about that briefly in the last segment. And one of the things that means is that it sort of got picked up and planted in different places around historic trait routes and, like, sailing routes. And so the green bean uh, variety Bourbon that you mentioned actually comes from the island of Bourbon off the coast of Madagascar. Mm-hmm. That's not where it was first picked up from, but it was planted there by traders who picked up the original coffee crops in Ethiopia and Yemen. So it's got this long trading history back to the age of exploration. And this is where the stuff on St. Helena comes to. Starbucks, because of the size and scale of what they do, they get access to some really interesting and very limited and incredible coffees. And it doesn't surprise me that they would be coming in and doing something like this from somewhere like St. Helena. I've had coffees from Starbucks over the years that are from very limited, very sought-after uh, crops in places like Jamaica and Hawaii as well that mm-hmm. you don't typically see at most kind of specialty coffee shops. And Starbucks can do it because they're Starbucks. So it's always interesting to watch what they're doing. And I'm sure it's good. My question would be, how dark did they roast it? You know what I mean? $145 a pound for some really rare coffee all sounds really interesting. But if you're scorching it, then yeah. I don't know how much I care. Yeah. If somebody has A5 Kobe Wagyu that's from like an heirloom herd in, mm-hmm. in Japan yep. that doesn't even really get brought into America and you have access to it, that's amazing. Yep. But if you cook it well
0: done... And serve it with ketchup. Ketchup. How special, how special really was it, you know?
1: My tastes change all the time. And so I go through streaks of. Is that true for everybody with coffee? Or do you stay in love with a particular kind? How about you, Jordan? I mean, can you name your ultimate cup of coffee because it was so extraordinary in some particular way?
4: Wow sometimes people who work in coffee talk about the idea of a cup of coffee or a shot of espresso that sort of changed their life or changed how they thought about coffee as a beverage, the idea that it could be something culinary. And you'll sometimes hear people call this a God shot, like a, a shot of espresso that made you see God. And, uh, and I'm somebody who did have a very specific experience like that in my life, and this was back in around, I'm gonna say 2006 or 2007. My uh, colleague who I started Sprudge with was working at a very influential coffee bar in Washington DC at that time. And I was out touring around the country with my, uh, with my rock and roll band. He had said, oh, you're in Chicago, you've got to go to this place called Intelligentsia Coffee while you're there. Their coffee is really amazing. Uh, and so I did. I went to the Intelligentsia Coffee in Millennium Park and had a shot of espresso. And it was like somebody turned the lights on, on what coffee could be for me for the first time. And uh, I went back up and ordered another shot again right there and drank it again. And it sort of everything's been snowballed from there for me.
1: Wow. Do you buy it and keep that stuff in your house? I mean, do you, do you have oh, access sure. to it?
4: Yeah, that was with their espresso blend, which is called Black Cat. And they do still make it, but it's an ever-changing blend. They're trying to capture exactly what I would have had you know, 12 years ago or 13 years ago, I don't know if there's a way we actually could. But, mm-hmm. you know, I I drink espresso when I go to coffee bars because making espresso at home is really hard and it's kind of expensive and it's really a labor of love. Like You need to be a serious hobbyist. It's almost like getting into fixing motorcycles or another kind of hobby that really the amount of time you spend on it is part of the point, you know. So I don't have as much time to do all that. So I drink espresso when I go to coffee bars and then, When I'm at home or when we're in our offices here in Portland, we make a lot of brewed coffee, either hand-brewed or with like little home batch brewers that'll make you a nice pot of coffee for maybe four or six
1: cups. So I read with some interest that you said that cleaning out your coffee maker completely Mm -hmm. uh, changes the taste of the coffee and makes for a much, much better cup of coffee. And so no matter what thing you're using, clean it, I think you said, once a month?
4: Absolutely. Yeah, It makes a huge difference. And it's something that I've gotten into the habit of doing every time I go home to my mom's house, I'll clean all her coffee stuff or, you know, you sort of just <laughs> get into the habit of it. And yeah, it, it makes a really big difference. I think it's something that Just doesn't get talked about that much for whatever reason, uh, and it was something that we really wanted to try to make sure we spent a little bit of time talking about in the book.
0: Cleaning it with vinegar?
4: You can, although I would recommend that you buy, there's a, different lines of products from a couple of different companies, some in the United States, some based in Australia, but that would be carried at any grocery store, especially any kind of fine food store in along where they have their coffee filters and bags of coffee, buy products that are designed for it specifically that have the ability to take off. There's different kind of scales and particles. Coffee is really complex substance, right? There's like, 350 million particles of compounds in every milliliter of how you grind it and brew it or whatever. And it's just this really complex stuff. So it means that it's capable of all these really amazing flavors, but it also leaves a lot of residual on whatever you use to make it in. So you're better off using products that are specifically designed for cleaning coffee equipment.
1: Okay. What do you think makes a coffee shop truly great? You know, that's such a personal
4: question, because what makes a coffee shop really great comes back to what you were looking for as a person, or what you want that day, or what your goal is. And for me, in my life, I think that that meant different things. I mean, when I was in high school, what made a coffee shop great was that it was far enough away from my parents' house that I could sit out in front of it and have a cigarette and know they wouldn't drive by. A clove that's cigarette, exactly right? That's <laughs> exactly right. Sure, a charm clove cigarette. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, and my, that my friends would be there, and maybe there would be a band that would play sometimes. That, yeah. to me, was what a great coffee shop was. You know, when I was in college, I, I went to the University of Washington in Seattle, and I spent a ton of time through talking about historic coffee bars, and um, in Seattle, where obviously Starbucks was founded, 20th century coffee history is very much alive there still, um, and there's a coffee bar called Cafe Allegro, which is in the University District in Seattle, and it's been open since the late 60s, so it's the oldest continually operating coffee bar in Seattle, and um, it's got this great sort of college vibe. It's very sort of ivy-on-the-walls and professors and tweets in it and stuff, and that, to me, felt like it was the most sophisticated thing I could possibly imagine doing with myself when I was 18 or 19 when I was going to college. So I think it really depends on you and where you're at in your life. You know, for me now, I, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the kind of growing inclusivity and diversity for sort of who owns coffee bars, who coffee is for, how that gets expressed around the country. And so I know for me, the experiences now that I get the most excited by is getting to kind of drop into another culture drop into another kind of community and a vibe and go and sort of soak that up through coffee. That, to me, is the stuff now that I feel the most drawn to and and Mm. I'm the most excited by as a coffee drinker. But it's sort of always changing. And it's really personal things like, what do you want that day? Where's your head at? What's important to you?
0: I remember in college, like you'd depending on whether it's LGBT or like a place to go study or if you're an art student, your coffee shop said a lot about who you were. For sure.
1: Huh. And instant coffee has apparently, mm. I know this from your book. There are still so many people who love the old school Maxwell house, you know. And right. um, but in general, people are making instant coffee now that is. Apparently, Sounds pretty good. Yeah, so much better. So What happened there, Jordan? It's an interesting
4: thing, and it's something that I could not have predicted that this would be a story when we started the website 10 years ago. But five years ago, we started to see a couple of different people really trying to, and if you'll pardon the use of the phrase, disrupt This idea of what specialty coffee could be and true to the disruption thing, it all came out of San Francisco, out of people in the Bay Area who had different sorts of tech experiences saying, listen, we think we can maybe solve this thing about coffee where if it's instant, it doesn't taste good, and maybe we can also use this to address this thing in coffee that says... Well, once you roast it, it goes bad within, you know, six weeks or eight weeks, depending on who you listen to and where the coffee's being roasted and stuff. So what if we try to, like, tack our way out of that being the reality and create something that is a little bit in its new product category of, like, instant that doesn't suck or coffee that won't go stale in, in eight weeks? And so a lot of very smart people in the Bay Area have been trying to figure this out. And, and a couple of them are on their way to towards being able to say that they kind of have. With instant coffee specifically, it's sort of a deceptively easy solution, which is to say maybe the problem with why traditional instant coffee to people who love third-wave or specialty coffee doesn't taste that good isn't because of the process to make it instant, which means brew coffee and then you dehydrate it and then you rehydrate it using water. It's as simple as that. Maybe the problem is... They were starting with bad coffee in the first place. Like If you start with low-quality coffee and then you make it into instant coffee, when you rehydrate it, you've still got low-quality
0: coffee. Bad coffee.
4: coffee. If you start with really good coffee, then you put it through that process and egghead your way through it and monitor the variables and, like, tech it. But really do that same brew the coffee, dehydrate it, and get it so you just rehydrate it by adding water. Maybe when you get to the end and you add the water, it will taste good because it was good coffee in the first place.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I have a friend on the opposite end
2: of the spectrum. He has actually taken a Ron Popeil rotisserie roaster and modified it into a coffee roaster. So not only does he make his own press pot coffee every morning, but every week he starts his week by roasting the coffee for the week. And he just goes to his coffee shop, a coffee roaster shop in town, and they give him the fresh beans and he keeps them in his freezer. And then once a Uh week he pulls them out and he actually roasts his own coffee. He has this so set up he actually hooked onto the bottom of it a – Central vacuum that actually vacuums the smoke out. And I've been in his house when he actually (laughs) did this. It was fascinating to see the first crack of the coffee and then the second crack and it stops and it lets it cool. But I'm telling you, it, it makes, if you, if you have it right out of the roaster shortly after it's roasted and then you grind it and make coffee, it can be that God cup.
1: No kidding. A different yeah.
2: experience, I bet, right? Yeah, different experience. Because you start off with smelling the coffee roasting. So yeah. it's got to be that whole experience. So there are home roasters now, well, right? Well,
1: see, this is like the garageist movement, right? People <laughs> who yeah. in some suburban neighborhood and have 12 grape... Yeah, what's mines. the famous one from California? A screaming Eagle, sure. and you know, and then it sells for twelve hundred a bottle, you know, kind of thing. This could be your friend. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. maybe we'll see this right. Uh, Jordan Michaelman is our guest, by the way, and we're picking his brain. He's co-founder of the online coffee everything site with Zachary Carlson. That's called Sprudge. They founded that together, and his book about kind of the new wave with coffee is called The New Rules of coffee and it is a fascinating book I have to say. Where do you think it's all going in this last minute that we have, Jordan? What's coming up next?
4: One of the most exciting things about where coffee is going next is it appears to be resistant to Amazon. It's resistant to the Amazonification of the coffee experience. So even as Almost everything in our lives for how we shop and how we consume is being altered into something that you order to your home, gets delivered to your door. They haven't figured out how to replace the experience of going to a coffee bar, being around other human beings, drinking this thing together, and having it improve your day. And so even in the big, big cities, you walk down Park Avenue in in Manhattan and there's for rent, empty retail, people trying to fill retail spaces. But there are more and more coffee shops opening. This is true in big cities and small towns all around the country. Coffee is offering this growth industry of, like, economic viability, it's community building, and it has so far been resistant to... People can order coffee for their home on the Internet, people can read about coffee on the Internet, but you can't replace that going to a coffee bar thing on the Internet.
3: Thank uh, goodness. <laughs> and I,
4: yeah, thank goodness. That's right. I agree with you. And I think that it becomes more important as we lose going to the boutique or as we lose going to the grocery store, like as those things get replaced and get sort of Amazonified or whatever. That communal experience of getting an espresso at the bar, talking to the barista, sitting down at the table, meeting your friends, that can't get replaced, or at least not yet. I mean, maybe someday they'll be delivering all of it by drones. You know, who knows? That's what but, uh, I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> the coffee remains this really uniquely anal. Thing that I think feels urgent and important because of everything else that's happening.
1: Yes, with everything else that's happening, people are looking around and saying, "How can we build community?" And whatever that means to people, some people will be led to a house of worship, and right. other people will go to library readings, and some other people are going to go to coffee bars and wine bars, and some with a political flavor, um, others with an artistic experience offering. I think people do need community, and what a good way to gather around coffee. Jordan Michaelman, co-author of The New Rules of Coffee, a wonderful book, recommended highly. Thank you so much for being on the Food Schmooze. We could talk to you for hours. Agreed. Thank you, Jordan. This was really fun. Thank you. You're welcome. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.